BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. The Limit Does Not Exist is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, I'm Christina Wallace. And I'm Kate Scott Campbell. We're here to help you follow your curiosity, celebrate your individuality, and embrace the and, not the or. So you can turn everything you love into a custom-built career that's as unique and dynamic as you are. If you feel that one path may not be your only path, and you call yourself a human Venn diagram, then you are in the right place. Because when it comes to pursuing your passions, we believe the limit does not exist. Have you ever wondered why people think the arts and the sciences are polar opposites? It's weird, right? There seems to be this idea that you're either a creative or you're a STEM nerd. But we certainly know people who not only love both, but also fundamentally believe that they actually have a lot in common. Like us. That's right. And pretty much every guest we've ever had on our show. True. And today, we are adding two more names to that list. Dr. Aomawa Shields is an assistant professor of physics and astronomy at UC Irvine. She's also a TED Fellow with a fantastic TED Talk about how we'll find life on other planets 
And she's the founder of Rising Star Girls, a program to help middle school girls of color see themselves in astronomy. And plot twist, she also is a classically trained actor with an MFA from UCLA. And if you thought one actor-astronomer was unexpected, well, hold on to your seats, because (laughs) we actually have two of them. Amy Secunda is a PhD student at Princeton in astrophysics and was formerly a Helen Fellow at the American Museum of Natural History. But before her path took her into astronomy, she was a child actor and majored in theater at Northwestern University. We figured that if there were two in this actor-astronomer club, there are probably a lot more out there. Wait, Kate, did you just make this club up, or is it an actual thing I can join? No, Christina, you made up the club. I just decided that the clubhouse was on Mars. Oh, okay. Let's meet Aomoa and Amy, shall we? Let's do it. Omawa, we're going to start with you. You started down the science path with an undergraduate degree in planetary science from MIT, and you even started a PhD in physics, but then you went and got an MFA in acting at UCLA. So what was it that made you step off that research science path at that moment, and why was it acting that you went toward? I had put myself on this path from the age of 12, actually, when I, when I had seen this movie, Space Camp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oscar contender, perhaps not, but um, I, <laughs> I loved it. Like a movie about these kids who get accidentally launched into space on this, while they're at Space Camp. And it just like rocked my world. And I went home after school that day and like pulled out my world book encyclopedias and grabbed the volume that was labeled A. And I looked up astronomy, astronaut, and kind of plotted out this huge, long career trajectory of like, I'm going to get my PhD in astronomy, I'm going to go to the best science school in the world, MIT, and I'm going to apply to NASA. And, but I never really actually stopped during that evolution of that path to sort of ask myself, how am I doing? Do I still love what I'm doing? Um, Do I still want to do this? Um, So when I had started to do acting and prep school, I'd gone to Phillips Exeter Academy, which I had gone to because it had its own observatory. And I was like, I'm in, I'm going. (laughs) But I had sort of stumbled into an audition. They were um, auditioning for the play Steel Magnolias. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which like every girl on campus wanted a role. Yes, of course. That Shelby Um, monologue. Yeah. yeah. I had just gone on a whim with some girlfriends who were like, come with me. And I was like, eh, I could care less, but fine. (laughs) Um, And I showed up and I ended up getting cast. And I was cast as Truvy, Dolly Parton's character in the film. Great classic. It was so great. Like they actually (laughs) built an entire uh, beauty salon as part of the set. Like it was the whole, <laughs> wow. you know, and like I got to, I, I had to go get a manicure so I would learn how to do manicures. <laughs> this is very method That's at a very young age. role research. One play led to another play and I just became the mm. sort of theater person. And I also was proctoring at the observatory and these things were able to coexist in high school. There was kind of this undercurrent of like, choose the thing you want to do, choose the college that's the best in that thing. And right. you know, no one actually told me to do that. But I think there was this kind of like, well, I, I had this astronomy path set set out for myself, I'm going to stick to that. And so, you know, went to MIT. And then in senior year, um, I did apply to both acting grad schools and astronomy grad schools. I applied to like the top three 
acting grad schools like <laughs> NYU, Yale, and like the Globe. I didn't get into any of those, but I did get into astrophysics grad school. I got like a free full ride to University of Wisconsin-Madison. Started off, did one year, but during that year, I was definitely distracted. I would be trying to do astronomy, astrophysics homework, and then I would think about a movie or somebody would be talking about the Oscars or the latest film and like then I would perk up. The fact that I wasn't focused led to not having all of my mental energy in one focused on one thing. I naturally mm. started to to do a little bit poorly in, in classes, not all classes, but some classes. And that led uh, to this sort of like identity crisis. Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? And I decided to defer from that program and snuck away and applied to acting grad schools again, got on buses to Chicago to audition and, right. you know, got into um, acting grad school at, at UCLA and decided to, to go and do that. Wow. So you followed that acting path for a while. You eventually merged it with your love of science when you became the host of a TV show called Wired Science, which is produced by PBS and Wired magazine. But eventually you went back to that PhD. You you completed a PhD in astronomy and astrobiology at the University of Washington. So what pulled you back in? And how was that experience ultimately influenced by that time off acting and doing science communication? I felt like when I was in acting grad school for many reasons that it was almost like playtime. Not that it was easier than astronomy grad school. It was sort of harder in a different way in that like my brain, which was supposed to be working so hard all the time as an astrophysics grad student, needed to take a kind of hiatus. When I was as an acting grad student, I had to really kind of turn the, the brain off and the heart on. It was all about the feelings, which yeah. I was encouraged to kind of wear on my sleeve for like easy access. And the thinking really could get me into trouble. Um, yeah, <laughs> especially like Shakespeare, you know, you're supposed to it's supposed to be living thought where there is no subtext, you know, an actor right. is kind of saying how, what they're thinking as soon as the thought comes out. And so this sort of like hyper thinking and over analysis is can be a detriment as an actor. And so that's why it felt like it was sort of a vacation for that overcritical analytical side of me. But after, you know, several years of acting grad school and then working as a professional actor off and on paying the bills with sort of temp jobs here and there, I found that I missed being a part of the community of people who were trying to learn more about the universe. Um, I didn't want to learn about discoveries on the news with everyone else. Um, I wanted to be a part of those discoveries. So I ended up reaching out to an undergrad advisor and got some encouragement and she was like, you know, there's this website at Caltech where they post jobs. Um, you might think to look there. And I, the day a job was posted that was perfect for me, it was working as a help desk operator for the Spitzer Space Telescope in support of that mission. And I did that. I, I kind of went after that job like it was like the last job on Earth. And I got that job. And that led wow. to like scheduling observations on the spacecraft, which was wonderful and very fun. And that was kind of my re-entrance into the astronomy community after almost a decade away. And I kind of just dabbled in, like I, I would go to astronomy talks and I found that the ones that were focused on exoplanets, which is this field that had really just taken off while I had been gone from the field. Those were the talks that really caught my eye and made me want to learn more. I ended up combining the two. I didn't expect to do that, but um, because I worked at Caltech, 
when like science TV shows were casting, they would kind of go to Caltech and send the breakdowns to email addresses there. And so like a breakdown got passed to me and it was like, again, the last day of auditions. And like, I showed up there and they were like, we have to get you in here. <laughs> like, it was very, <laughs> That's um, incredible. I to, yeah. I was able to host that show. So it, it was really a series of wonderful circumstances that made me feel like I was being led at every point, reaching out and getting the help I needed. In the course of doing that science TV show, I was put in touch with Neil deGrasse Tyson, who had seen the pilot for that show and was like, you know, without a PhD, you're just, you know, another person who wants to be on television, but a PhD <laughs> will give you like the street cred. I really was able to hear that um, in a way that, that helped me uh, improve in terms of my trajectory. And I also had applied to the Astronaut Candidate Program along the way during this whole, yeah, during the you time did. I was working. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had gotten like laser eye surgery. I like oh. hired a physical <laughs> wow. You're like, yeah, put me I'm- in coach, I'm ready. <laughs> I was going after that. And, and again, like I barely met the minimum qualifications for that because I didn't have a PhD yet. So I did not get passed on to the next level. And so it seemed like all roads were saying like, go back and get that PhD girl. So, you know, so like I finally became willing to go through the whole process of applying again to graduate programs. Amy, you are currently a PhD student in astrophysical sciences at Princeton. But of course, this wasn't always your path. Your first degree was in theater from my alma mater, Northwestern, also a theater major there. And you pursued a professional acting career after that. So what did theater, film, and improv offer you? And why did you ultimately decide to take a turn to science? When did that happen for you? I started out as an actor. I was actually a a child actor. (laughs) Uh, So So you have the headshots to prove it. So I have the headshots to prove it. Oh, I have some of the cutest little headshots. Oh, my goodness. It was sort of a similar thing in that, you know, I was 12 years old and I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. And, you know, I was was always working and trying to build a career and I wanted to do more. So I went to university and studied theater with the intention of moving back to New York and and going back to acting after I graduated. And it's interesting, though, I always really enjoyed math and science in school. I took a couple math classes for fun at Northwestern because that was the sort of thing you actually could do in that program. So I did some of that, and I always found it very calming because in acting, you're expected to be very emotional and, and not very analytical, For me, it was nice to have this kind of analytical thing that always made sense, you know, to to come and sit down and do some math and and think critically in that way. And after I graduated, I acted for a while, but I, I missed the different side of my brain. I missed using that side of my brain. And I had never been acting, but not also in school. I just woke up one morning and I realized that you're not always employed when you're an actor. So you're not, you know, you're not always working, but you should always be doing every day something proactive for your career, always auditioning. And I just woke up one morning and I was like, I haven't been to an audition in weeks. Am I really an actor if I'm not even auditioning? And so, you know, I'm very driven. I, you know, the things I want to do, I go out and I fight for every day. And I was like, something's wrong. I didn't wake up that morning and and go online and fill out an application for Columbia continuing education. But a few weeks later, I did do that. And I went back to school. And kind of in a similar way, things just started clicking and pushing me down a path. I went back to school and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I took a history class 
and then an intro to astrophysics class and a physics class. The history class didn't go great, and the <laughs> astrophysics class went great. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm in the second semester of that, and then I'm doing research for that professor, and then I'm going all over doing these different research things and getting really lucky, and I'm talking to an advisor there and saying, I really want to do a gap year for research because I'll finish with classes but not really be ready for grad school. And so then I meet another professor in another class who connects me to the Bridge Up STEM program, so... So here I am doing a year of research and education work and it just like everything on my path just started kind of laying out for me. And I just think the theater thing never was a good fit for me as an adult. Mm. Once I found something that actually fit, my whole trajectory just took off really fast. You're in your second year of your PhD. You're almost done with classes. Your research is, I'm sure, going like gangbusters. Do you have a sense of how you might be able to keep acting in your Venn diagram of interests as a scientist? Obviously, as an actor, you learn a lot of communication skills, which I think aren't taught a huge amount in my experience to a scientist. It's certainly not what's valued, at least in my experience. I give a lot of talks to uh, high school students, um, especially high school women, and trying to kind of advertise the field, uh, science in general, but specifically astronomy. I actually have a few times gone down and lobbied Congress for various astronomy funding that we need. I even had a fun thing last year. One of the graduate students who has graduated last year, he did a dance performance piece uh, (laughs) of his thesis. He asked a bunch of people to be in, and, and so I did that. So I got to use dancing training, and, you know, he studies what drives uh, supernova when a massive star dies, how it actually explodes, since theoretical astronomers don't actually fully understand how you get a star to explode. And so he had a friend of his from high school who choreographed an entire dance piece, I think like I want to say 10 minutes long. Wow. Uh, is there video of this? There is video of this. Will you share it with us? I, I guess I could share it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's. I mean, it actually turned out really well. Like I believe it I could. was skeptical. I thought it would be fun, but it might be very goofy, but it actually turned out really well. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. 
Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable and with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected, or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moon roof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Listening to both of you talk about your paths, I'm so struck by your ability to go, hmm, it feels like I'm being led in this direction, and I'm going to go there. And Aomawa, I'd love to throw this to you, thinking about where we left off in your story of you jumping back into this PhD program after a lot of years away from academia and working as an actress, etc. Was there... A, a challenge, either internally in your own mind and or externally with your family, friends, colleagues on really getting aboard this big change? Like, how were you able to double down on trusting this decision to go back to your PhD? Did you ever feel like there was a, a culture shock there? 
Mm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so, so I had a lot of support in terms of family. That was an area that I felt completely supported. In fact, my mm. so both my parents are musicians and performing artists and <laughs> retired professors of music. So, wow. Uh, when I went to, to the acting part, they were like, "Oh my god!" Like they were so worried <laughs> um, <laughs> because they knew what it was like to try to make uh, a living as an artist. And and so when I came back to the sciences, I think in their mind, they were like, okay, good. She's got <laughs> some kind of career that will probably, you know, for sure get her a job. Although that's not, of course, <laughs> guaranteed in this, um, you know, funding age. When I went back to grad school, I had gotten married. I'd married someone in my, it was a classmate in my MFA program. He's a complete 100% actor. So there's no hyphen career <laughs> in him. He's a you know, 100% actor. And when he met me, I was, you know, working as an actor and trying to be an actor. And so all of a sudden it was like, oh, by the way, I'm going to go back and be an astronomer. I hope that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that, you know, that was a shock for him. He was willing to uproot himself, move with me to Seattle, leave his well-paying uh, day job to kind wow. of be unemployed for a year and a half up there until he found his people and, and his connections and did some acting up there. But it was that was a struggle at first. I couldn't have been busier at first. He couldn't right. have been less busy. And at the beginning, you know, I was a uh, 34 when I returned to grad school and mm -hmm. I was, <laughs> I had forgotten for, for, at times I would forget that I was 34 and I'd be like, Oh yeah, you guys are all going out for happy hour. Students who are like twenty-three. Let me go out. I know my husband would be like, um, "I thought we were gonna like watch shows together. I thought we were gonna carve pumpkins." And I was like, "Oh my god, I'm married. I forgot." <laughs> so it was like I'm sort of I'm sort of minimizing it, but that was certainly it was clunky at first. Yeah, and yeah. then and then of course there was this sort of trifecta of issues for me that made for the internal challenge to be, that was certainly a, a big, probably the most influential part of my first couple years was that sort of, I was an older student. I was a, an African-American woman, um, you know, in a predominantly white male field. And I was a classically mm. trained actor, you know? And so there were these three things that made me feel very different from the norm in terms of the environment that I was in. Although my program had a much broader idea of what a grad student can be, there certainly you know, weren't that many people who had as unusual a background as I did. And no one looked like I did in my program. If I missed a class, people were going to know. At first, I felt like I had to downplay that theater background because I thought I'm not going to be taken seriously. People would bring this up and they'd be like, oh, you have an MFA in theater. And I'd sort of be like, I would try to change the subject. You know, I didn't want it to be this thing that, again, separated me and, and was a reason for people not to take me seriously as a budding scientist. But something wonderful happened about, I think it was the end of my second year, I enrolled in kind of a mentorship program for minorities in STEM fields and was matched with a mentor who was a professor at the time at UC Riverside in chemical engineering, this incredible woman from Ghana. Her name is Professor Akuya um, Asa Owuku. And she said to me, you know, your theater background is your superpower. Oh, I love that. And that just sort of like changed my life in, in, the, in those years because I began to see it more as something that would make me a better scientist, not something that was sort of this Achilles heel that I had to 
ignore or, or um, downplay, but rather it, it helped me communicate my science to this broad range of audiences um, in ways that my counterparts in my program really hadn't been trained to do, as Amy said. And you know, I'm glad to be able to be helping to change this because this spring at UCI, I'll be teaching the first ever communications course for astronomers and physicists in our department. That's oh, brilliant. That's yeah. so exciting. Because it's like that's so much of what we do is communicating our science, not just to the public, but to our own colleagues and in peer-reviewed journal articles. There's no course that I took as a grad student that's basically how to write a journal article, you know, how to write a proposal. We had a bit of that by one of my PhD advisors. She had a professional development class that really was taught kind of as a an extra add-on thing that really wasn't part of the curriculum at the time. I hope, hopefully it is now, but this is so much of what we do depends on our ability to communicate the significance of our research to others, to a broad range of audiences. Once I began to understand that, then I became more empowered. And I think that was reflected in how I was perceived by others, how I felt about myself and my own confidence level. I want to talk about mentorship. You both have found ways to include mentorship with especially young girls, middle school girls, high school girls who are thinking about where they fit in in the world and whether there's a place for them in science. Aomoa, you founded an organization called Rising Star Girls, which uses science and theater and writing to inspire girls to explore the universe. Amy, you were an educator through Bridge Up STEM with their high school program. Can you talk a little bit about what that meant for you as someone who's only a few years older than these <laughs> high school girls in the grand scheme of things, yeah. but what that offers you in that opportunity to kind of play that mentor role in addition to being someone who's still seeking mentorship in your science career? I've been very lucky in the mentors that I've had so far in this career. That's part of the reason I feel like my path has been so smooth, when I was first at Columbia, I worked with a postdoc and a professor, and both of them were, were women. And that <laughs> was like a very special experience, I think, to just have that mentorship right off the bat, especially coming from the theater field, which is pretty dominated by women, to the physics or astrophysics, which is kind of flipped uh, in terms of demographics, men to women, so a lot more men. That was a really cool adjustment. When I mentor younger women, I kind of see myself in that I made the choice when I was in high school, even though I was really interested in physics and math, to not do that. And I think a lot of other high school girls make the same choice just because they don't see themselves as scientists, as physicists or mathematicians in particular. Mm -hmm. Being a, a woman who does this now, I think it's important to just show my face, if nothing else, <laughs> so that people can see that a scientist can look like I look or look like anyone. And so I think that, if nothing else, that's important, supporting high school girls. When I was at the Museum of Natural History doing the Bridge Up STEM program, there were five of us fellows and three of us actually were in astronomy that year, and only one was in the biology. And so the girls get to choose which kind of science they want to do a project in. And almost all the girls chose biology. And that was really <laughs> heartbreaking. But that, you know, because if, if you look at undergrad 
nowadays. There are a lot of women who go into biology, and so that's great. But there are just these areas that still you don't get as many women. And so I was like, can I convert anyone <laughs> over to physics? Uh, so I don't know if I succeeded, but I, I tried. So. <laughs> and how about you, Dr. Shields? Tell us about Rising Star Girls and the work that you're doing. It was born out of a, the desire to try to find ways to marry those two parts of myself. I, even though mm. I had committed to a career in astronomy and really had to as a grad student to be able to get to the next level, I kind of had to um, put the myriad of things I, that I'm interested in kind of a little bit um, into the background so that I could do what needed to be done, you know, get through the qualifying exam, advance to candidacy, you know, publish the papers that I needed to be able to finish. Um, right. But when I was looking to get a postdoc fellowship, one of the fellowships I applied for was um, with the National Science Foundation. And of course, you have to have this sort of broader impacts component. And I was able to leverage what I had already been doing, um, because occasionally I would have these little pockets of time that I, uh, what I would, where I would do outreach activities with um, girls of color um, who were associated with the university you know, through existing uh, middle school or high school programs. And I thought, how about put, putting together an astronomy workshop uh, where we engage these, these middle school girls from backgrounds traditionally underrepresented in the sciences, when, which I mean African-American, um, Hispanic, Latino, Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Native American, mm -hmm. um, those groups. Um, how do we engage them in astronomy, but get, but develop a personal connection um, between mm. them and the universe, you know, of which they are a part? This sort of artistic element is inherently personal. You know, a, a poem, uh, a painting, um, any sort of thing that is created um, feels personal because it it comes from you, and no one else would do do it the exact same way. Um, and for those right. reasons, that kind of the visual arts, the, the performing arts um, are inherently personal. And so I thought maybe that would be an avenue or a gateway um, because it's been shown, literature shows that middle school is the age when girls start to get quiet. They raise their hands less often. They begin mm -hmm. to become more concerned about how they look and less concerned about how they think and feel about the world. Um, mm -hmm. and so that's the age that, um, that we wanted to target um, and so it was sort of like helping them develop this sort of strong personal connection to what we were, what they were learning about the universe so that if they continue on in the field and, you know, the heavy math comes in, obstacles come in as they do for everyone, they will hopefully be less likely to abandon their interest in the field just because it gets hard. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. 
Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable and with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moon roof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Aomua, as the more senior scientist and actor here, what advice (laughs) might you offer Amy as she is setting out on a similar path in your footsteps? Well, it sounds like she's on an incredible path already. Any advice or experience that I would share is that even though it was so important for me to embrace and understand how my non-traditional background actually informs and, and is an advantage in my science life, 
it was also hard for me to, or important for me to make the hard decision to, for a while, focus. For me, it's like for now, I'm focusing on kind of improving and uh, developing my own research scholarship and kind of making my mark in the field that I've chosen in astronomy. And that does mean doing the things that you need to do to be able to be seen as a scholar in your field. And that means publishing papers and mentoring students and advising students and, and helping them with their papers. And it's not that I don't involve myself in you know, other creative arts pursuits, but I think I, I'm very clear as to what my primary focus is for mm. what I want to do. But I was encouraged by a professional development organization to think about my life as a book with many chapters, you know, and I can't do every single thing in the next five years, you know, but, but if I think about the, the, the current chapter of my life, what's my focus, you know, and when I was a grad student, it was get the PhD, you know, and so <laughs> is this going to help me get my PhD? Um, you know, given what my advisor has said I need to be able to get my PhD. Um, and then the next, you know, is this going to help me get a faculty job or a job in industry or a job at, you know, whatever XYZ organization, and then kind of make decisions from that filter question rather than letting um, other people's priorities dictate my own agenda, um, or in some cases, um, whether, rather than let myself um, be driven by the, the many interests that I have, I have to sort of develop my own prioritized list of things that, are, that, that matter. Um, otherwise, I can sort of be my own worst enemy where I'm like, I want to do everything. And then um, and then I don't make forward movement in any direction. I appreciate that advice. I think when you're younger, though, I think when you're in high school or even your first few years of college, just being open to trying something new, because I think at that point, you still have so many options left and you never know if that thing you try that's a crazy idea actually will be the right thing for you. So I, I would advise that and, and not to be afraid Um you know, you're you're always limited by having to make enough money to put a food on your table. But uh, I think for my the first half of my 20s, I definitely tried a bunch of different things. And I'm grateful that I did that because I don't have to look over my shoulder and say, but what if I had done that? So I think as long as you're able to provide for yourself, trying being brave enough to try different things uh, is a is a good thing. Uh I totally agree. I think that's that's so key to know. So one thing that I think I did maybe a little too early was sort of set myself on this this tightrope path of like, mm. you said you were going to be an astronaut, so, you know, and like, <laughs> do everything to be an astronaut. But if I had kind of remembered that, oh, my God, I'm only 12. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm only 21. Like, it's okay yeah. to try new things. There's one other thing I, if I might add. Yeah. So it can be difficult, I'm finding because we as women, and then you know, even those of us who are women of color are so mm. few in this field of astronomy, there is often the, the pull of, you know, I have to represent, or I have to be that one female person on the committee because otherwise they won't have anyone. Or, um, you know, I have to, you know, do that project X because it's important for other people to know um, that we exist. And, and it so is. It's very important to, to be visible. But what I was reminded of by a mentor many years ago is that just by 
continuing successfully in my own program, making progress just by being in my program or as a professor in my department, I am an example and a role model. I am acting just by existing. I am telling someone that they can do it too. A lot of those mm. things are so valuable that the, but you know, <laughs> what I will say is that people who are not in those, in these demographical groups, they are spending their time on those things like scholarship and, and, and moving their career forward. Whereas those of us who are having to do both scholarship, move our career forward and be an example with all of that kind of that heaviness that, that comes with that, that's a mm. lot of, that's a lot of energy out. And so right. with each decision, comes the evaluation of like, you know, do I have the emotional energy as well as the time to do this? Um, what is my first priority? And, you know, I'm not saying that those things are, should not be a priority, but I guess what I'm saying is that it's okay if you find, and I'm sort of speaking to anyone out there who's in that place of thinking that they have to, that they have a responsibility, you know, to others, just by doing what you're doing, taking you know, all of the business of becoming a professional astronomer that's enough, um, you know, you're, and then you can have some energy left over for your life. But I think I just want to remind um, both myself and others listening that taking care of ourselves means that we will be around to be able to affect change, institutional change uh, at those higher senior levels. And that I think is quite important. So we have to sort of do what we need to do to be able to take care of ourselves first so that we can move those mountains later on for those of us who would like to follow in our footsteps. You know, Kate, the conversation at the end about focus versus exploration mm. reminds me of the episodes that we've done about the different seasons of our careers and the times that we need to focus versus the times we want to flare more broadly and experiment with new ideas and opportunities. Yeah. I think we, we talked about this you know, in several episodes, but specifically in episode 35, Explore, Experiment, Execute. That's been such a takeaway of doing this show is the real power of defining these different seasons in your life. And I loved mm -hmm. Dr. Shields's point about how focus has been so valuable for her. And it's interesting, too, that they both mentioned that they had this extreme focus at the age of 12 and mm -hmm. that they set out on that path without really checking in as they got older to see if that still worked for them. You know, like Amy said, while acting was great for her as a child, it didn't really fit her as an adult. And Christina, it reminded me of my high school admissions essay that I recently found that I wrote when I was in eighth grade. And the question okay. was, 25 years from now, Time Magazine is doing an article on you. Where are you, basically, in your life? Okay. And it's a two-paragraph long essay. The first paragraph says, I'm performing on Broadway eight shows a week. I think I was doing My Fair Lady was the play that I was imagining <laughs> myself of as course. Eliza Doolittle, right? Mm -hmm. And then second paragraph literally goes, and then... When I'm off of the stage, I'm performing open heart surgery for oh many gosh. patients. <laughs> right. And it's so interesting. It really gave me a lot of thought because, you know, I really get being this driven child, right? And when mm -hmm. I look at that essay, certainly there's a case for the fact that I had an early interest in both STEM and the arts. Mm -hmm. But 
It's also so apparent to me that I really had no idea what the lifestyles of each of those fields would be. Do you know what I mean? You mean there isn't time between eight shows a week to do open heart surgery? <laughs> exactly. I'm reading this and I'm like, what are these patients okay? Like, <laughs> when did you sleep? There's also this whole narrative about like, I have this beautiful family. Like, I'm like, I have no sense. Well, of... sure. Of how many hours are in the day. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, so that's a, such a great point because while we do have the same number of hours in the day as Beyonce, um, <laughs> I think there's this huge huge awareness when you get to your 20s, your 30s, when you start trying to put together your life, right? Your relationships, your friends, your family, and a career that, you know, depending on what field you're in or what the demands are, it really can affect what other choices you get to make, right? So if you're in a a job that requires frequent travel and you're on a plane 100,000 miles a year, it's a lot harder to be a human Venn diagram with lots of other projects. Mm-hmm. I think similarly, when I was thinking at one point about going to law school, I remember reading on all of these legal blogs of you know people giving each other advice and you know existing lawyers chiming in. And one says, "Well, hey, you know, I work at a a white shoe private practice and I work on average seventy to eighty hours a week." And someone jumps in and says, well, I'm not worried about 78 hours a week. What, you know, what I want to know is X, Y, and Z. And the first person (laughs) replies and they said, have you ever worked 80 hours a week? Like, do you know what that feels like? (laughs) Because in your body. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Like repeat, not just one week that's 80 hours, but repeatedly, because that is going to really define you know, the rest of the frame that you can put your life into. And I think, you know, to Amy's point about auditioning, to Aomoa's point about service that you have to do as a professor or, um, you know, all of the other pieces that's not just teaching and research, until you are further down that path, it it is really hard to imagine what that looks like. That makes me think of something else that we've really talked about a lot on the show, which is deciding what you really like about the work that you're doing and what you don't like. And we talked about this in episode 105 with Keith Kirkland when we were talking about determining what your next step on your path might be and Mm -hmm. assessing what you like and what you don't like about your work. Certainly what the day in and day out of that work is. Is it consistent? Is it flexible? Are there projects that take up a lot of time? and then a lot of downtime, these are all really important questions that certainly my 12-year-old self had no idea about. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I also really loved uh, Omoa's advice about doing what you need to do to be healthy and happy, and Mm. that that will ensure that you are around to continue to be an example in your field. That as an underrepresented group, you don't have to say yes to every single committee or talk or service opportunity if it's going to burn you out. I know I struggle with this a lot. I want to make sure that there's a woman. I want to make sure that there's, you know, a voice that I can offer. If I'm being asked to do it, I feel obligated to do it. But majority groups don't have that emotional tax on their time. And it was really helpful to hear that from her. Christina, I thought that was such an important point that Dr. Shields made. And it's so true, right? It's so important to really continue to forge a path. And it's important to understand that you are the resource at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And to say, 
you know, I know that I feel a great sense of responsibility here, and that is so important and great. And how can I take some of the pressure off of myself so that I can, like Dr. Shield said, be happy and be healthy so that I can contribute as much as I can, right? Mm-hmm. How exciting to know two incredible actor astronomers. This club is already awesome. So <laughs> we have to know how many more of you are there. And if you're a member of an actual club for scientists and artists, let us know. We would like to join. It's true, we would. We love hearing your updates and questions and, you know, invitations to clubs. Um, <laughs> you can reach us on Twitter or Instagram at TLDNEpod or email us at hello at TLDNEpodcast.com. Yes, or you can leave us a voicemail or, I don't know, a singing telegram at 833-HI-TLDNE. <laughs> That's 833-448-5363. And don't forget to dial the extension 803 when you call to leave a voicemail. And we'll link to Dr. Shields' TED Talks, information about rising star girls, and Bridge Up STEM at the American Museum of Natural History, all of which you can find at tldnepodcast.com slash 111. Thanks so much to our producer, Maya Cole, and to you for tuning in. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts if you like what you heard. It really helps us get the word out to fellow human Venn diagrams. Until next time, remember, the the limit limit does does not exist. exist. (laughs) (laughs) The Limit Does Not Exist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? 
M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, Peanut Butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of Peanut Butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.